Welcome to Church in the North, a podcast by ministry leaders and for ministry leaders. I'm your host, Rob Chartrand, Program Coordinator for Christian Ministry at Briarcrest College, and I'm joined by one of my co-hosts, Jeff Dresser, Assistant Professor of Worship Arts. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, Rob. And back in the studio, by popular demand, Dan Goddard, Lead Pastor of Victory Church. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. It's good to be back again. Yeah, and it's good to catch up. Uh, we were catching up a little bit before this podcast, but uh, Dan, you were away. Uh, what were you doing? Where were you the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I had the privilege of going with my wife to Honduras uh, nice. to uh, actually have a compassion exploration trip. So we got to see the Ministry of Compassion Canada in Honduras, which was cool. super cool. Yeah, yeah. What an amazing deal. So really enjoyed that and uh, really blown away. Actually, we, we I would say, wept and mm. rejoiced our way through it. It mm. was very touching and mm. uh, very impactful and yeah, highly love that yeah. that ministry. So, so, was there a reason why you went to Honduras in particular? I mean, there's lots of places you can go for a compassion tour, but uh, what was? Yeah, not really. They that was just the one they were organizing okay. at the time, yeah. and they yeah. fit with our schedule. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but yeah, what a delight and uh, what an incredible place. So, yeah, love the work of compassion. What'd you do after yes. that, though? I, yeah, so we we went to there's a little island uh, connected to Honduras, mm. and so like a Honduran island, I guess you would call okay. it. It's called okay. Roatan. So we jumped in a little little uh, skip airplane, just a, a baby airplane, and uh, wow. skipped over to that island and had a little vacation. So wow. that was also fun. Okay. Restful. You're coming back refreshed. I am, actually. Ready? That was really a great trip. Yeah. Ready to take on Easter. Let's go. It's coming. It's coming. Friday. Sunday's coming. <laughs> Well, that's great. I was away uh, this week at uh, a conference in Calgary. It's nice. the Advanced Evangelist Summit yes. in Calgary. Yeah, yeah, so I get to hang out with a whole bunch of evangelists uh, or people wanting to do evangelism. So, you know, some are uh, like... Are, you had the gifting yeah, of evangelism. Yeah. Some of just I'm like, jealous. I, yeah, I saw yeah. the speakers and such. I was pretty excited about that. Yeah. Like it was like uh, Alan Hirsch and uh, Becky Pippard. Yeah. I got yeah. to hear her preach twice. Like she was on fire. Wow. Like if I, when I'm her age, if I can have that <laughs> yeah. uh, energy and influence, man, just so good. Um, and I just like hanging out with a bunch of mavericks. Like, because hmm. evangelists, you know, we, we talk hmm. about in the church, the apex, the five giftings, you know, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherds, teachers, um, and, and churches are pretty much dominated by shepherds and teachers. But, right. You know, but the, the other three are often neglected because they are often a little bit more on the fringe Mavericks. Sure, yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah. So if I can hang out with Mavericks for a few days, I, it's yeah. time well spent. Neat. <laughs> so do you guys, do you guys like attending ministry conferences? I mean, pastors tend to do that, but uh, is that something you guys enjoy? How about you, Jeff? Uh, yeah, I've had a great time at a uh, uh, going to conferences, and uh, also have been. I remember er- early in my worship ministry, I went to Willow Creek to the Willow Arts Conference, yes. and just you know getting in there and being completely shell shocked, and uh, and thinking like, "There's no way it's hopeless. I should just quit ministry." <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah totally. um, you know, and all of the. Uh, you know the seminars were uh, like you know lighting design for uh, dr- for dramas, and I'm like we, we have like we have one rotary dimmer on the wall of our sanctuary. That, that, that's what we have for lights. Like what old school? What are we doing yeah. wrong here? And uh, and so being being pretty depressed at the at okay. the Willow Arts Conference. No, never so, inspired though. Um, then did you go back and make changes? Yeah, actually, I went back for a well. Okay, yeah. Then you get back. Like yeah. you get fired up. You get inspired, and then you get back, and um, people look at you like you're from Mars because they right. they. They just do not have the the context no, at yeah, all. Yeah. Uh, but I was, uh, you know, I was smarter. The next time I went, I took at least my tech director with mm, me. Mm. So we went together 
And we had a, I mean, it was a great time just for us to, uh, for he and I to bond. But, um, but when there were two of us to, um, who had experienced things and could think about how, okay, how can we take and apply these concepts right. to, and yeah. to our, you know, much smaller context, but we, we were, a, when there were two of us, uh, you know, we were able to, to bring some of those changes. So, so you came back and you bought some of those little lights that you use for under trees and you well, mounted them on wood and put a dimmer on them. And, I, I mean, we did, it, we actually went into a building program and built a new auditorium. Okay. The okay, next, yeah. um, so it was, so there were some, sure. It was relevant. So, yeah. So yeah. I went out to a conference on just sort of basic lighting design, mm-hmm. which was, um, which gave me the knowledge to know how we screwed up the lighting in our new auditorium. Uh, so, but uh, sure. but anyway, that, that was uh, uh, because a contractor said, "Well, it's way cheaper if you just hang them here." Right. And uh, and then the angles were all wrong. And, mm. uh, but anyway, yeah, building programs—they're fun. So. Why are there shadows on this face? Well, yeah. I, we we had that. The angles were coming in so steep. So yeah, we yeah, just, yeah. We looked sinister yeah. on stage. So, but uh, eventually, I think we we got them sorted it out. out. Yeah, yeah. Danny, wow. you a ministry conference junkie or? You know, I I would like to be again. Okay. I, I certainly was. Yeah. Um, years ago in in ministry, and uh, I feel like. Over the last number of years, I just haven't got to very many conferences. Yeah. yeah. Partly COVID, obviously. Yeah, it killed a bunch. Pretty much yeah. ended it. Yeah. And then, uh, but even before that, so uh, I'm actually, yeah, I'm excited to get back. I, mm. I, I do have a love-hate relationship, though. I, I, if, if I go to a conference and all there is is sessions, yeah. and they're not really scratching where I itch, like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, then I, I kind of go away thinking, what a waste of my yeah. life, you know? Yeah. So I have had some conferences like that, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and... Uh, yeah, that can be challenging. So, but I, I, other ones have been very impactful yeah. on, on my yeah. life personally and on our ministry life. So I, yeah. I do love them. And yeah. I, yeah, I think probably for like fifteen years of my ministry, well, maybe ten, I didn't know about conferences except for like district sure. conferences right. for your denomination. Right. But I didn't know. And then I moved to Thunder Bay, and it's just not far from Chicago. Hmm. And they went down to Willow all the time to yeah. all these conferences. So that you know, I. Uh, my lead pastor at the time says, hey, you should go down to the student leadership thing at Willow yeah. and, uh, yeah. you know, take a car. And, and I did. And my mind was was blown. Like, yeah. And, and I, I journal and I write down ideas. I mean, between every session, I was walking out right. outside and I'm just writing stuff, thinking of ideas and dreaming. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they were super formative to me. Um, yeah. And I think I went to Willow in my two years there. I went to Willow probably about four, maybe five times. Yeah. Like, it's just because... Just the arts conference and then the leadership summit and, yeah. you know, just, it just kind of got to go. So I was will, I was a Willowite for a while. Yeah, for sure. Neat. Um, do you guys like, one of the things they said is like post COVID was like, well, we're such a content rich world. Now you can get anything by video anymore. And, you know, conferences are kind of going on the wayside. We're never going to get back to conferences anymore. What do you guys think? You think conferences are still worthwhile now, or if you can access anything by YouTube? Jeff, any, well, I, I think um, God honors uh, going on a pilgrimage. Okay. And, and so like that, like like t- taking your team and going, just going away yeah. together, right. there's okay, value together. in yeah. that. Yeah. And, um, and and so I, I think that's valuable. And I mean, you can't just, I mean, getting it through YouTube or just video is is not the same at all. Mm-hmm. And um, to, to be in a place and to be able to, 
uh, to sort of poke around and look around. Uh, I, I've been to uh, a number of um, conferences at North Point uh, in Atlanta mm-hmm. and yeah. went there once with my my team from my church in Catalyst? Winnipeg. Um, no, not Catalyst. Okay. Uh, we went to Drive, which okay. is yeah. there. Yeah. Like, this is how we, we do church yeah. ministry. Okay. Yeah. And I remember what, like, we hadn't even got in the building but we um and we hosted things at our church in Winnipeg it was a big church but we would always get like really lame golf shirts with a little logo on them and they'd For always be team? like some ugly color <laughs> like when we were hosting things and and we got there and they the uh, the host team had cool like graphic tees that were like designed yeah. that looked and we were like already like one idea that we're gonna put we're gonna into uh, into <laughs> use yeah. the day we get back we're gonna get cool t-shirts instead of the, you know the ugly ones that we normally have and, and I mean we just like as a team for us to be able to go and experience uh, things yeah and then to debrief and talk about them <laughs> and the the connections you make with other with other ministry leaders mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. Um, you know is is invaluable I think and um, online is a distant second to yeah, being yeah, there in yeah, person yeah. I would agree and there's something I mean I mean even like the worship time you have together and there's yeah. just these embodied people meeting together, yeah. the manifest expression or presence of God as yeah. you're gathering as the people. I mean, you can't, you can't translate that through YouTube for sure. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Dan? You, you, you going to keep going to conferences or you? Yeah, for sure. And and I do think probably denominational conferences are more about the fellowship, right? right. The connection yeah, and, yeah. and uh, so on, which is Catching up. vital. It's important. Um, but yeah, then, then going to some other conferences where you are exposed to new things, different yeah. things, mm-hmm. um, where you see th- just different angles on the same things you're doing maybe in your context, yeah. but you see it from a, a fresh eyes. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. it's, it's, and, and if you experience that together with someone else, yeah. maybe others from your team, it can build, uh, yeah, just a common language, common mm. vision. And yeah. yeah, I think it's fantastic. So, so what would be some conferences that have been maybe one or two that have been impactful for you like in the past. Well, it's funny hearing you guys share uh, okay. your early ones that, yeah, at yeah. the Willow because yeah. for me as well, hmm. uh, back in like the 90s, yeah. uh, went to Willow and uh, was personally life-changing and ministry hmm. paradigm-changing for me. Um, yeah. yeah, that was back before the Leadership Summit even. It was called okay. Church Leadership Conference was okay. what they used to host. Before and, it went uh, worldwide and teleco- video. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Before it was, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, just seeing the level of... Uh, passion uh, mm. for the Lord and for, for people. The level of discipleship, honestly, was transformative for me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it just, it gave me an, an, a new picture, a new paradigm of how things could be. So mm. we went back to that lots and then, yeah. 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 I, I, I'm with you, Jeff, in, in the sense, I, one of the best things about conferences is skipping sessions. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm too much of a, like, a, you got to, you spend all that money. Someone's going to ask you, you know, if you went to the sessions. So yeah. I would attend the keynote sessions. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you, you're accountable. <laughs> but if you're paying for it for yourself, uh, like I did this last week, I mean, I just, I'm going to go to what I want to go to and skip what I want to skip. Well, you get a chance to visit with some people too, which is important. Yeah. So. And I, I am thoroughly convinced that um, some of the most innovative changes, some of the most disruptive changes that happen uh, do not take place in committee rooms. And do not take place on conference floors, but they take place in coffee shops and pubs. Those are the places where sure. the real, you know, where the real conversations happen and and revolutions happen yeah. in tea rooms, where and, the inklings, yes, right, are, yeah, uh, together, yeah, yeah sure. and we get together. Oh, what about this? Oh, no, oh, let's do this. And yeah, I'm like all of that. Um, so I had some great conversations this week, like just 
good two hour breakfast yesterday. Um, uh, a good hour long coffee meeting, uh, the day before with the, some people. And so, mm. yeah, that's, so that's part of it. I mean, the conference is good too. I mean, I, I love the conference. I learned so much, but, um, those, those conference conversations are so, are so critical, uh, as well. I just want to clarify something though, yeah. like, um, in terms of like denominational conference committee sessions, I, I would do a- any excuse to miss those. So, um, I, I'm talking like something cool, like yeah, at North Point. Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to, even I'm if not I'm gonna running the meeting, band, I yeah, try to skip yeah, it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Those yeah. denominational ones, yeah. they're very important. I'm not denying it. We need those policies and all of those things, but, uh, I, yeah, I need another policy meeting. Like I need another kick in the head. So, yeah. <laughs> um, what what makes for a good conference? Like, besides you know meeting with people, but I mean, any, any thoughts on what? If you were to create a conference, what would you make sure that this conference had? Hmm. Can I answer a different question? Okay. <laughs> Skip my question and answer. No, I just like what makes a good... I like it when at a conference, like something goes off the rails. Okay. And then the conference leaders have to like make course corrections. To me, that's the most memorable, like okay. entertaining. Entertaining. The, yeah. like, and one thing I loved about uh, the Leadership Summit is like they'll bring in... They'll bring some people who are on the edge, and then sometimes, like you, you get to, to see them in, in yeah, real yeah. time how they're gonna. Whoa, what, what yeah. are they gonna do yeah. about that? Or their or their speaker that everyone was coming to see couldn't show oh, up, yeah. right? And then they have to fly somebody in last minute to come in, and yeah. and and they select them. Yeah. What, so as a church planter, I mean, you know, when you're planting a church and you're setting up tearing down equipment, like all the time, anything can go wrong, and often does. And so when you go to a major event and it's like a, you know, multi right, hundred thousand right. dollar event and they screw up, you just go, yeah, oh, I don't it's a little so relieving. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not just in my little Absolutely. storefront operation Absolutely. here. Happens everywhere. Yeah. It right. happens everywhere. Yeah. And, and that's it, probably one thing that makes for good conference is a kind of humility from the hosts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, that we're, it says we're still learning and we're here as fellow learners, not yeah. as the experts who are going to tell you all how you should copy us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That is, I mean, isn't that a challenge, though, sometimes of um, conferences is they put the experts up there. Right. You know, and, and they they you, they tell the extraordinary stories of everything that's working. Yeah, yeah. But they don't often tell the stories of everything that's, you know, right. the failures and the number of people that are really, it's not working, right? Yep. And so I think it was Ed Stetzer once said that it's like, um, uh, he. I'm quoting Ed Stetzer here, but he said sometimes it's like ministry porn. Like you put it up okay. there and it's yeah. this ideal, idealistic thing that, and that every pastor thinks they got to be that and they right. want that. And, right. and oftentimes it's unattainable. It's not even available right. to them, but we put it before people. Um, and, and that's a good thing. Like it, it's to inspire them. But on the, the, the shadow side of that is, is it can be this unattainable goal and it becomes a form of idolatry almost. Right. right? right. And, and some of that is on the conference participant. That's right. To have the right attitude, to the right perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, like you can't, we can't put all the blame on the experts, you yeah. know, and say, well, they shouldn't be so smart about what they're talking That's about. That's right. right. Yeah. You shouldn't be so uh, successful. What's yeah. wrong with you? Yeah. So some of it is on us to not idolize. That's right. Um, and, and say, we're going to take principles, learn from them and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. But it, wouldn't it be good to have a story of someone who um, failed and right. suffered exactly. and learned the you know, the, the sanctifying experience of Christ walking with them through that failure. Right. And not having a bright rainbow at the other side that, you know, that finished so well. Um, 
Right. D- during my grad studies <laughs> once, uh, they, they would do a, like a, an alumni seminar yeah. during the week, and they had brought in a guy who he was like publishing uh, a magazine or a journal or something on on worship, and, and the journal had like just folded, like he just had to shutter this thing like a couple weeks before, like they'd already booked him to come in, and he was in a dark place. Okay, and he mm. spoke, and it was it was so raw. Yeah, and he was like, he was working oh. through bitterness like in real time in front of us as he's speaking, and mm. but it was like to me it was, like I like it when um when I go to like a, a diner or a coffee shop and they say okay what do you want like I don't want to hear the um you know they're reading the 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 right. corporate approved yeah, greeting yeah, from yeah. the training binder I want to see like a real person hmm. and so this guy was like a real person <laughs> raw yeah. as it comes and, and it was uh like we. Refreshing. I mean, his session generated way more meaningful discussion mm-hmm. uh, as we worked, uh, you know, as we talked about it, than than the person who comes in and has it all has it all together, mm. and you're just skeptical of like, okay, well, is this the is this the real story? But hmm. I mean, it also just um, I don't know. Like I mentioned, I like it when things go go off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Well. Um, we have a guest this week on the podcast, and uh, we're excited to have him. It's David Gretzky. He's the president and CEO mm. of the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. And we're going to talk about a lot of things. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty lengthy conversation. It's actually about an hour and 40 minutes. So nice. we talk about evangelicalism, mission. Uh, we're also going to spend some time talking about medical assistance in dying. Uh, and, right. And, and that's a very Canadian um, reality that we're experiencing in um, that reflects on the church. So what we've decided to do is we're going to split the conversation into two parts. Okay. We're going to serve up part one this week and then serve up part two next week. So this week nice. you get to hear the first half of that conversation. And uh, I think it's going to be really um, thought-provoking for our listeners and uh, for all of us here. So, hey guys, thanks for joining me in the studio this morning. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Well, hey, we are excited to have with us in the Church in the North studio, David Gretzky. He is the president and CEO of the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. David, welcome to Church in the North. Thank you. Great to be here. Well, we want to get into your backstory, and then there's so many things, so many things uh, (laughs) I want to talk about today. Um, But uh, you've just served in this role for just over a year, technically. Um, But I want to back up the clock just a little bit. you had a long career in theological education, uh, as well as a short stint in in pastoral ministry. Uh, but your journey really began with getting to Bible college. Um, so why don't we start there? How, why did you end up going to Bible college? Well, it's interesting that in uh, my family that I, w- I grew up in, I was the youngest of four kids. And for whatever reason, there was a bit of a tradition in our family that mom and dad encouraged us all to go off to Bible college for a year. And so my three older sisters all went to Bible college. And when it came to my time, it was really, it was almost like a a no-brainer. It was just something that we did. So uh, what was more interesting is that the the vocational direction that I thought I was going was Mm. more like sciences and maths and engineering. I was was actually going to be an engineer. Right. And I ended up coming to Briarcrest for a year. And then within about three months of my first semester, I felt God calling me to ministry and I ended up doing a whole of whole degree at wow. Briarcrest, yeah. Yeah, so, so you stuck around. I stuck around, yeah. yeah. And the, you did your the, BRE, is that right? I did a BRE in theology. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And then that's when you went on to pastoral ministry. Yeah, so after that I went into um, 
assistant pastor position for just just under four years, three three and a half ish years uh, in Alberta at an evangelical free church, and it was a great great experience, wonderful experience. It was kind of a half youth, half uh, preaching, you know, other pastoral duties. Right, where they right. got kind of a love for the church. Uh, but at the end of that time, uh, my el- I wanted to go back to seminary, and uh, my elders said to me, "Yeah, you you, know, you probably shouldn't be a youth pastor." Okay. <laughs> 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 oh, okay. And uh, and I, they said, "Well, but we do think you should be a teacher." Okay. It was actually the very first time that hmm. anyone had kind of really affirmed said that, that affirmed yeah. that, and I had done quite a bit of teaching in, hmm. in the church. So I came back to a seminary. I came back to Briarcrest Seminary. Ended up doing a master's in uh, historical theology here, master of arts in historical theology, and uh, yeah, within a few months, I got uh, hired as an intern at Briarcrest. Yeah, and then uh, after my seminary program in 1995, I got hired full time as uh, a faculty member. So that's wow. when I joined wow. joined the faculty. Okay, so and I, mean, I was on faculty here for 24 years. Yeah, I yeah. mean, like, so you didn't have your doctorate um, nope. at the time. You did. Time. You yep. come back later, and you were young. So yeah. did you feel like a fish out of water? Uh, I mean, it was just such a different trajectory of what I thought. Like mm-hmm. when I was called to the ministry, I, I, I actually you know remember the time. It was at a fall conference, fall mission conference, when God spoke very directly mm-hmm. to me to say that you know I want you in the ministry. Okay. But of course, at that time, I didn't know what that actually even really meant. I just kind of thought, well, past, pastors obviously being called into the ministry, right? Right. right. Yeah. And, and so even the fact that I was moving into a teaching role was was really somewhat unexpected, but it became very natural. Hmm. And uh, I was affirmed in my teaching gifts, you know, over and over again. Hmm. And uh, yeah, and so Briarcrest, yeah, I guess Briarcrest took a risk on me. It was wow. also a day when, you know, it was a day in, at Briarcrest when master's degrees were kind of more sort of the typical uh, entrance. Right. And, uh, you know, now I think it'd be a little bit different. Like most most faculty are probably already coming with doctorates or near, nearly doctorates in hand. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. But, I, you know, eventually I did go and finish a doctorate. I did a PhD in uh, Western Christian thought at McGill University. Yeah. And Briarcrest kind of helped me along with that. And so that kind of set the pace. And mm-hmm. I was here for from uh, 93 to 2017, minus a couple of years in Montreal yeah. To, yeah. to do the studies at McGill. And you were in a different roles. Like you you were uh, dean at seminary, VP of external relations, professor of yeah. theology. Yeah, yeah. Um, a dean of the college at one point. Okay, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, chair, chairs of some departments. And so, uh, yeah, a whole slew of different roles uh, while I was at Briarcrest. So out of the 24 years, I think I calculated about 17 of those years, I was in some kind of hmm. leadership position, either a dean's role or yeah. VP role or chair of departments or, yeah. So hard to get some writing done when you're doing that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Although I've tried. (laughs) So what was your, what was your thesis about? My, uh, my doctoral thesis was on, uh, so I'm a Karl Barth scholar and I did my thesis on Karl Barth's uh, doctrine of the filioque, the procession of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And I looked at his, um, you know, his defense of the filioque in the Western tradition and looked at it, uh, particularly how he defended the filioque in somewhat non-traditional ways uh, against kind of the the trends of the way Western theologians have tended to to support the filioque, and actually concluded that even though he takes a Western position on the the procession of the Holy Spirit, 
uh, he's actually quite heavily indebted to Eastern theologians hmm. like Athanasius and hmm. and Gregory of Nazianzus and so on. So he's a, a Western theologian upholding the filioque, but using some a little bit more of the Eastern rationality. Okay, so, so uh, let's geek out on that for just a minute. Sure. Filioque, uh, that's proceeding from the, the father or the son or yeah. both. Yeah, so yeah. The filioque is Latin for uh, for and, and the son. Yeah. And so the Western position is... Um, it, it, it stems from the Nicene Creed, right? Yeah. The statement of the Nicene Creed that I believe in the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father would have been the initial, mm -hmm. uh, the original Nicene Creed. Yeah. And then a later Western version, Latin version, that was the Greek, the Latin version added this phrase filioque, which yeah. is Latin for and from the Son, mm -hmm. and which means that the Creed then became I believe in the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Which eventually becomes the, you know, the, the the dogmatic reason that the Eastern and Western churches eventually split in yeah. 1054, the Great Schism yeah. of 1054. Yeah, wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, most of our listeners are like, what practical value does that have? <laughs> <laughs> well, significantly, yeah. uh, one, one of the, the really interesting thing is, is if you look at the long traditions of the Western and Eastern churches, uh, particularly over this, this understanding of the relationship of the Holy Spirit to the Father and to the Son, mm -hmm. um, their entire sort of theologies of mission developed yeah. in two very yeah. different directions. That's right. Right? Yeah. Um, the Orthodox Eastern side tends to have a little bit uh, kind of a broader sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the world. Not, I'm not going to say independently, yeah. but, but a, a witness to the Father yeah. without necessarily through a Christological yeah. direction. So the, the doctrine of creation is much more robust. That's right. And expansive yeah. And, yeah. Whereas in the Western tradition, because the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, right? Uh, kind of arguing that uh, this is the Johannine witness in the yeah. Gospel of John, for yeah. example, um, that uh, the, the Spirit's work is to be a witness to the to the Son, right? Mm -hmm. And so in the Western mystiological traditions, it's been much more explicit to say, if we're going to pronounce the Gospel, we have to actually uh, point to the one to whom the Spirit points, who yeah, is, who is Jesus. Jesus. This is grand generalization uh, <laughs> alert <laughs> yeah, yeah, for a podcast. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's other yeah, verses yeah. like in but, Acts yeah, as well. So, and, so, yeah. there, so, I mean, if you, you acknowledge even how uh, mission is thought about in the Orthodox traditions, mm -hmm. Eastern Orthodox traditions versus the Western traditions, they are, they are quite different. And I would actually argue that it stems back to a slightly different Trinitarian vision of, of who God is and yeah. how he operates in the world. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I mean, th for those of us who are thinking about mission, um, it is actually central to our belief because oftentimes we approach mission as a commandment, which it is, yeah. but we don't perceive it as a, something that's actually central to our identity as right. believers. So God himself is a God on mission, a sending right. God who's both sent and sender, right. who sends his church out on mission in the world, just as he is sent, we are also sent. Yeah. And so yeah. it's part of our, our identity yeah. as image bearers yeah. is to be a sent yeah. people, yeah. 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 sending yeah. people. Anyway, yeah. so yeah. it's really Ambassadors, important. I like it, ambassadors, yeah. Paul's language of ambassadors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. yeah. Anyway, all right. Uh, thank you, listeners, for allowing us to geek out for just a minute. Um, so how did you end up uh, at the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada as the president and CEO? Sure. Uh, way back in about 2008, uh, Dr. Paul Magnus here at Briarcrest was the chair of the EFC board. Hmm. 
and uh, the board was has has always you know tried to diversify in terms of expertise and background mm-hmm. and you know the, the the typical things that boards look for, and uh, one of the things that uh, the EFC board was looking for, for was someone with more sort of theological expertise mm-hmm. and representing some of the theological education, right? right. So because uh, many of the affiliates of the EFC are Czech schools like uh, uh, Briarcrest and, right. and Ambrose and Trinity Western and all of these Christian education schools Czech in Canada. Czech is the Czech Republic? Uh, no, 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 not, not, not that's Czech. <laughs> Christian Higher Education Canada, yes. C-A-G-C. Uh, sorry, the acronyms uh, just kind of flow. You must um, be in the alliance. You're yeah. not, but we have a lot of uh, acronyms. Yeah. Anyway. So um, I was recruited to the board, and okay. Paul Magnus recruited me. And um, then uh, I served on the board of the EFC for actually nine years, mm-hmm. three three-year terms, and that was the so constitutional limit that uh, before you had to take a, a break. And so at that nine-year mark, around 2016, uh, the president of the the then president of the EFC, Bruce Clemenger, he you know had a conversation with me, and he says, you know, we really need a theologian on staff. We have yeah. like good ministry people. We mm-hmm. have uh, lots on partnerships. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have lots on public policy. Uh, he himself is more of a legal and political uh, expert. Okay. And he says, like, we, we just really need someone on staff. I'm not sure we can hire a full-time theologian, he says, mm-hmm. but I am looking for a, for a vice president. Yeah. So, you know, at that time, I, I, I literally laughed in his face and said, uh, I have a full-time job that I really like. I'm a full professor at Briarcrest, and I think that that's plenty good for me. But, uh, you know, su- surprising, as the Spirit of God is surprising, mm-hmm. uh, he uh, clearly directed us in unmistakable ways. I won't tell the whole story, yeah. but in one of the, the clearest ways of ever in my entire life mm-hmm. was directed to say, uh, I want you to go to the EFC. Okay. And so I ended up going to the EFC executive vice president uh, in 2017 and resident theologian. I did that for five years. And then about uh, 20, um, let's see, 2021, 20, uh, the board started some conversations with Bruce uh, about succession planning. And, yeah. and Bruce was wanting to move into kind of the next phase of his ministry. Mm-hmm. And uh, the board, you know, set up a search, search kind of parameters uh, started praying about it and uh, uh, decided they wanted to approach me and asked me first whether I'd be willing to take the position. It was a long process. It was almost two years wow. from start to finish. Wow. Uh, board, two years for the decision or two, two years for the transition? The process, okay. the whole process. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and the board was just really trying to do, you know, due process to make sure that in particular because I was an internal candidate, they wanted mm-hmm. to make sure there was external... Right. validation and so they hired a firm to kind of do some sort of silent work behind the scenes so a lot of this was be- happening behind the scenes no one knew that I was in these conversations okay. and um, and uh, you know it, it's it's worked out such that you know as of January 31st 2023 I became president hmm. our former president is is still on staff he's president emeritus and senior ambassador he continues to legal work and public policy work for us. And so it's it's worked out great, actually. Hmm. So that process, did that shake your calling or affirm your calling more, having to go through that? I uh, from from Briarcrest to no EFC. the two year the two year transition you know oh uh, I won't say it was easy okay <laughs> and, and there were there were times of yeah certainly testing patience mm-hmm. and and kind of asking like why is this taking so long and you know as is often the case as, as you know Rob like 
in in the moments when you're going through this, this you're saying like, God, like, why are you taking so long? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. either you say yes or say no, but like, let's quit kind of mm -hmm. taking so long to get to this answer. Mm -hmm. But in retrospect, right? In retrospect, I look at that and I say, what the process actually did was as frustrating as it was at times going through that long process, in retrospect, I'm deeply grateful for it mm. because I, it affirmed to me that the board had taken their role seriously to make sure that they were, you know, utterly convinced yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that I was supposed to be the next candidate, and they went through thorough processes, and and that gave me significant confidence to say, okay, they just didn't do something because it was easy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they could have just easily appointed me. Uh, would have been kind of a logical type of choice, right, right. but they instead went through the hard work of saying, okay, we're going to validate this, yeah. and we're going to validate it through external means, we're going to hire people to do some external work for us on our behalf. And yeah, that's, that, it's extremely affirming in that regard. Yeah. You know, I feel much more confident that um, I just didn't fall into this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, I know a number of our listeners uh, are in churches where they're going through succession planning. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know... It, it might seem easier to just wave a wand and appoint the new leader. Um, but going through the process it may actually be better for your leadership in the long run because it's the people's choice and they know that you went through the rigors. And then you on the other side might feel like, yeah, actually, I went through this. Yep. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm here because they want me to be here and God yep. wants you to be here. And so. And, and I would suspect, uh, you know, of course, there's grand generalization alert here, but I suspect that anyone's kind of getting called into first chair position mm -hmm. is likely always needs to learn the lessons of patience. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and, and so, like, really seriously, to me, that was that was a lesson I needed to learn. You yeah. know, I, I I do tend to be an impatient person, mm. and so you know, just God taking the time to you know. Pull me through this, and I, 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 you know, I had, I had several people who were supporting me in this, and who had to often remind me, you know, God's, God's working on your patience here. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and it, there's a weight to it as mm -hmm. well compared mm -hmm. to probably you. Did you experience that in your previous role compared to now? Like, there's a, a different mantle that you're bearing. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm only a year into it, and I'm yeah. only really. Really, only now after a year, um, having that that position of being able to look back at a year is actually a good place to be. You know, to start doing some preliminary evaluation. Mm -hmm. um, I'm only really now starting to really feel the the weight of the mm -hmm. position. Yeah, um, I knew it walking into it. I knew that it was an additional kind of level of weight. Um, I've done a lot of traveling across the country this year, talking to a lot of leadership across the country. Um, a lot of denominational leaders in particular, and and listening to the stories, listening to things that are happening in the church, listening to where the movement has, is as at right now. I mean, has added sort of this sense of you know weightiness of of what the position's all mm. about, and mm. so I, I I kind of am on a roller coaster of terror and and uh, ecstasy, uh, where you know uh, one or two months feels like it's you know absolute ecstasy and this is all wonderful and good, and then the next <laughs> two months is absolute terror and what have I gotten myself into? That'd be budget planning season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so I mean I I think that's from what I'm seeing that's that's somewhat typical. Yeah. But it is a first for me because all all the positions I've held up until now, even even in my first church, was yeah. was a second position, right? Yeah. 
exactly. uh, assistant pastor, uh, deans, vice president, vice president of the EFC. And so, you know, moving into a first position, it has been. There, there's been a lot more differences than I expected. You know? mm, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll admit that um, for much of my ministry career, I had heard about EFC being out there somewhere, but I didn't really know exactly what EFC did or what it was about. And I, I mean, I, I knew that it was important, um, but it's only been on my radar in the last few years. So <clears throat> can you tell us really what, what is EFC and what it what does it do? What yeah. do you do? What are sure. you all about? Probably, probably telling about the EFC a little bit of uh, historical context actually is kind of helpful. Sure. Yeah, uh, and, and particular because we're about to celebrate our 60th year. It mm. was it was born uh, as a fellowship of pastors and um, you know, ministers in 1964, um, somewhat paralleling the National Association of Evangelicals in the States that was yeah. born in the 40s. And um, but but the fellowship it was truly a fellowship. The word fellowship really meant. You know, mm. is significant. Um, and in the 60s, evangelical pastors were were grappling with some of the changes that were taking place in Christian education, right. higher edu- higher uh, seminaries and so on. Yeah. The, the the trends with towards liberalism right. and yeah. so on. Yeah. So so the EFC was actually born as a, an attempt to provide pastors um, the ability to talk about a lot of these theological issues that mm. they were facing mm. and that were they were feeling pressured to speak into, right. and so it was a, it was a mutual theological support mm. and, and yeah. encouragement to one another. That eventually became in 1983 when Brian Stiller became the first sort of full time employee of the EFC, the first uh, uh, national oh, really? director. Wow. Yeah, it was until yeah. then 1983. Wow. Yeah, and um, Brian at that point in the 80s really took on. Uh, trying to say there are there are important issues that need to be brought forward at the political level, at the public policy level. Okay, and so he, together with Bruce Clemenger at the time, who was the first director of the Public Policy Center in in Ottawa, uh, you know, formed more of a direction towards public li- public policy advocacy and so on. Yeah. Uh, the next president, Gary Walsh. Uh, expanded the mandate to saying how how do evangelicals work together, hmm. and in particular around some of the crusades that that were happening with Billy Graham crusades yep. okay. and so on. Um, there there was a, a new emphasis on partnership and collaboration, okay. um, regional unity, you know, church unity, and uh, so there's there's been a sense in which right from the start the the EFC has been about you know the unity of the church, hmm. theological unity, unity of voice, uh, unity of collaboration. So that that's brought to to where we're at now, and we 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 do what I I like to use the acronym CARE. The EFC cares for you. Okay. <laughs> the CARE standing for we do collaboration. We bring together our uh, denominations, schools, uh, Christian organizations um, to to ask questions about like how can we work to, together towards the the common public good and the common gospel good. Yeah. Right. Um, we do advocacy work, so we do public policy work on the Hill, uh, talking mostly around issues like uh, religious liberty, uh, sanctity of life issues, um, care for the vulnerable, mm. those types of issues. And so we do public policy advocacy with politicians, MPs, senators. We also do um, uh, advocacy work with churches, trying to help you know everyday Christians to understand how to interface with their political leaders and and uh, give give their voice to the issues that matter to them, 
And that includes legal interventions as well. We do public uh, legal interventions. We've been in the Supreme Court well over 30 times and Mm. over 34 times at at other court levels in the last 30 years. So there's the the collaboration, the advocacy. We do research. We have a center for research. Uh, We do um, public polling on religious attitudes in Canada. And we're particularly mindful about um, research that affiliates bring to us and partner together with affiliates to say, what are the topics that you need research on, okay. like quality, sound, methodologically <clears throat> sound research um, that are actually going to be an aid to to you as ministries. So mm-hmm. we've done quite a bit on youth uh, and adolescent research uh, and faith. We've done small church uh, yeah. research. Yeah. We've done... Um, a mission engagement, biblical literacy, parenting faith, uh, parenting faith, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and there's there's several types of things uh, relative to the research, and including ongoing kind of research about the evangelical movement itself, like who right. are evangelicals, who what what who's our demographics, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, who counts themselves as an evangelical, and what does that actually even mean, <laughs> right? And then equipping, uh, care equipping is uh, we do you know. Production of various resources. We have two national magazines, Faith Today, Love is Moving as a young adult magazine. We do three podcasts, Faith Today podcast, uh, a research uh, Faith and Faith Trends podcast, sort of highlighting uh, Canadian research. Mm-hmm. Everything we do, we're, we're trying to have bring a Canadian yeah, you know, flavor yeah. to. Love it. Uh, <laughs> and then um, you know, podcasts, media, resources, resource development. Okay. Uh, those are all kinds of things that we do. So yeah. we, we represent 48 denominations, 33 post-secondary Christian higher education schools, mm-hmm. uh, about 70 organizations, you know, World Vision, Compassion, yeah. uh, missionary organizations, and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then about another, you know, six or 700 congregations, independent congregations that might not have denominational affiliation. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, um, you know, you're well aware that the word evangelical has become a bit of a byword um mm-hmm. i mean especially with emerging generations and uh, yeah thank yeah <laughs> um and, and and i you know and and to be fair to the term i mean it's 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 been misunderstood largely as well yeah. in, oh. in what it really actually means so uh, let me hear from you what is an evangelical yeah well it's, it's a perennial question <laughs> Well, when I when I talk about the word evangelical, I always want to start with its roots. I mean, the the term is technically a biblical term. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it comes from the the word euangelion, yeah, which means good news. Yeah. It's the gospel. Uh, evangelical comes from the word gospel, and uh, so in the New Testament, the the good news is the the announcement of the kingdom of God, uh, the announcement of uh, the arrival of the King Jesus, and. Uh, uh, his plans and purposes for for uh, you know a recreation, a new creation, and a new people, and so you know at at its root, evangelical means the go- the gospel, mm-hmm. the gospel. Uh, historically, evangelical um, was a a bit of an offshoot uh, of um, several strands in Protestant history. Yeah. And so you have the the revivals, yeah, the yeah. the British and Welsh Welsh revivals, and the the awake Great Awakenings in in North America, uh, you know, kind of the Spurgeons and the Moody's and yeah. and all of these, uh, which would have been, uh, uh, you know, announcing the gospel evangelical. You have the the also the um, the movements 
uh, often in 17th, 18th, 19th century of um, like uh, uh, the slave abolition mm -hmm. and the slave trade abolition. And uh, those, those were often headed by, by evangelicals who mm -hmm. said, you know, the, the good news of Jesus means that uh, it's going to change the way we have to treat one another and, yeah. and create social conditions that are conducive to living out the kingdom of God. So um, there, there's that sort of historical side of what evangelical means. And um, there's also a pietistic side to, right. to yeah. evangelical. Um, evangelicals are famous historically, of course, for, you know, we're, we're the ones who often say, you know, do you know Jesus as your personal savior, That's right? right? Yeah. And, and so the, the personalist side of evangelicalism actually really is important. Mm -hmm. The conversion um, side. The conversion the side, personal, having yeah. a personal relationship yeah. with God. Uh, being grounded in scripture, like, like the scriptural authority, mm -hmm. being grounded in scripture, but 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 having a true, uh, warm, spiritual devotion to to right. Jesus, yeah. which wasn't always true in all Protestant uh, traditions, right. you know, especially lot, with national churches. Yeah, and, national and churches, but even even Christian, apart from even apart Christendom. from them, like some of them were just, just just tended to be a little bit more kind of rationalistic, mm -hmm. cognitive approaches right. yeah. to you know confessing the faith and so on. And so there, there's a pietist stream mm -hmm. uh, that that also influences who evangelicals are. Um, the, you know, of course, the flip side of every strength, uh, the personalist side of evangelical tradition, is is that sometimes that has has also led to uh, an overemphasis upon the personal towards right, the, again, right. over against perhaps the corporate sides of the gospel, yeah. and so there there have been you know certain tendencies into the modern period where the personal side of faith has devolved into things like. The faith is private, yes, or yeah. the the faith is is only something internalized, mm -hmm. um, without necessarily looking at our social responsibilities as well. Right, right. So I think, mm -hmm. um, uh, and and the really unfortunate uh, side of the uh, more of the current is is that in some cases the the term evangelical has been co opted by political commitments right. and yeah. political ideologies. Yeah, and so. But what we always have to remember, and this is really where, where it's so important, what we always have to remember is, is that when we're talking about evangelical, it has to be also understood within a global context. Because yes. within a yes. global context, there's something, depending on the scholars that you talk about, there's somewhere between 700 and, and a bil 700 million and a billion people throughout the world who would call themselves evangelicals. Yeah. And and when you look at the global context, but they would context, use the word evangelical, right? Well, so, <laughs> I don't know like, what they exactly. <laughs> well, that's actually an interesting. That that's kind of funny that you raise that because it it also raises the question that there are lots of lots of uh, people in the world mm -hmm. who who we would say are are evangelical in faith and and practice and and doctrine yeah. and so on and. Um, who wouldn't necessarily use the words, but we would recognize them as brothers and yeah, sisters. Yeah, the term's right? not familiar yeah, to them. The term's not necessarily yeah. familiar, yeah. familiar, especially yeah. in, in other la language groups uh, where it's not necessarily the, the It's very word. North American, Anglo-European. But, but the, yeah. like the, the evangelical, un, the understanding of evangelical is, is very unique. Uh, we, the, the North American context has a unique understanding of mm -hmm. evangelical that would be not necessarily recognized globally. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when it comes to political commitments or political alignment of evangelicalism with certain kind of political uh, commitments, yeah, yeah, and um, 
And and I think that's a that's a danger that the movement as a whole is 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 experiencing. And I, I think that um, we need a revitalization of the term. We need yeah. a clarification of the term. Yeah. But I've put it this way, Rob. I've said evangelical has both a positive and a negative connotation for sure. Yeah. It's positive because of its biblical roots and its historic you know, roots with the gospel. There is some negative connotations yeah. that have actually also arisen with it. But the question is, well, why don't we find a different term? And, and my, my response to that is, well, if you can find one that works yes. <laughs> or that, that will you know, satisfy everyone, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I think instead what we need to do is instead of running from the term, we need to, as evangelicals say, let's just let's just admit there's rich heritage to the term. Mm-hmm. There's rich um, uh, aspects of our tradition that we want to maintain, our commitment to to uh, authority of Scripture, our you know our commitment to you know having a personal relationship with Jesus, sharing our faith with others, yeah. you know uh, loving our neighbors. Uh, but there's also a heritage where uh, things have gone wrong. And rather than running from that because of some of those um, damaging mm-hmm. uh, uh, aspects of where evangelical has gone, I think that we need to be prepared to repent of them, yeah. carry on with the name and mm-hmm. say, where evangelical has meant injustice, where evangelical has yeah. meant uh, hurting people, where uh, evangelical has has devolved into a political ideology, or yeah. better, I say, idolatry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then we have to repent, mm-hmm. and then and then show the world that that uh, we can live out uh, a gospel life in repentance. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Amen to that. Uh, you know, and I, I think um, when when our younger listeners hear the word evangelical, oftentimes it's associated with very vocal Christians from south of the border, often connected to culture wars, mm-hmm. um, and not fully understanding. Maybe um, I think maybe this is true of all of us, and that that um, those culture wars are are part of a historical evolution of evangelicalism becoming highly politicized. Like it, yep. it wasn't yep. always, but I mean, early evangelicals like in the 20th century responding to cultural pressure feeling themselves on the margin seeing all the changes said well we've we've got to start wrestling with things that are happening and so we see the emergence of the fundamentalist movement you know mm-hmm. um and scopes monkey trials and all of that south right. of the border and yep. then and then wa- wanting to make changes politically because realizing that wow that seems like our country's drifting right mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. And then we see in 1960, whatever, Jimmy Carter becoming the first elected president of the United States, mm-hmm. uh, who is an evangelical yep. and a Democrat, yep. strangely yeah, yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 70s, right. 70s. 70s, 70s. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then, I mean, you've got, um, uh, you know, the religious rights emergence as yep. well and its yep. effect and, yep. and all of this coming together and, and people saying, oh, there's actually, if we bind together as a political force, we can maybe make changes, right? right? And then you have pollsters who are asking people, the moment they step out of the, the pollster booth, are you an evangelical? Right. With no, with and maybe it's one question or two, but no real qualifying questions to them. What what do you actually believe, right? right? I, I think in many, many ways, um, even the term evangelical has, has some of the con- same kind of problems, even of, say, people who say they're Christian. There's all kinds of people who might say, well, I'm a Christian. Uh, But the term really, you know, it might mean different things for different people. But for for many people, it just might simply mean, 
well, I was born into a particular kind of church or I was That's baptized right. yeah. in a particular kind of church or I was raised in a particular kind of church tradition. And I, you know, once in a while I go to church and, you know, I, I know that Christmas is about Jesus. And, yeah. and uh, but that's kind of the extent of them being Christian. Nevertheless, they still call themselves Christian. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. And, and I, I actually think we're seeing that trend amongst um, those who are identifying as, a, as evangelicals. Mm, mm. Uh, that that uh, we're, we're at a kind of a next generation. Like I, I, I consider myself um, in many ways really a, only really a sort of a second generation mm. or a third generation at most kind of evangelical. Um, in this, and, and in that sense, what I mean by that is, is that whereas for my forebears, my parents and grandparents, who are actually making like I'm I'm my my background is from is Polish my my dad is from right. Poland, and um, in Poland of course where it's ninety nine percent Catholic, to to come out and actually say you're not Catholic right and you're yeah. evangelical, uh, that's a big uh, deal. That's a big deal. That's yeah. a that's a huge big deal, and then you know second and third generation that carries on and we lose that sort of grounding it's and, and context yeah. of why that that was originally said in the first place yeah. right and so i think i think we're having the same problem where people are being raised in in churches uh they've been raised in evangelical churches mm-hmm. and they say well i'm an evangelical but but it's they they've they've gone pretty far away from kind what of the roots of, yeah. of what it meant and why it was significant when it was actually used in their yeah. earlier contexts. Yeah. So we need some re-education yeah. and and rerouting and even within our own traditions. Mm. Yeah, it, it has become a a junk drawer term. Yeah, that you yeah. just kind of throw yep. everything in yep. there and yep. it, it could be, mean anything. And yep. and I, I think I appreciate what you're saying is we need to. Um, Restore it. I mean, yep. repent yep. and reclaim it, and truly define what it really means to be and, evangelical. And I think, can I just reemphasize? I think that key is actually term uh, is 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 crucial. Like repentance. Uh, you know, I, I've been reflecting deeply on the Book of Revelation recently, mm-hmm. and and reading through the Jesus letters to the churches in Revelation chapter two and three. And and it, it's very interesting, of course. Out of the seven churches, only one of them really comes out like with rosy commendation, right? right. Philadelphia, yeah. but all of the other ones, for all of their foibles and all of their failures, they're still his church, mm-hmm. right? They're still his church. But what's common to all of them is Jesus' call to the churches to repent, yeah. right? So you're not doing so great, but you you should repent, right? And so. Um, I think it's a mistake to try to say, well, let's do a great market campaign and show how great evangelicals are, you know, <laughs> or let's restore our reputation. And I, I would say the only kind of market campaign that's going to restore uh, reputation where where the name evangelical has, has been, you know, uh, not so great yeah. uh, is by what we do, right? By how we, we, we acknowledge our failures. Yeah. We acknowledge where we haven't gotten it right. We repent. Mm-hmm. We we take it on ourselves publicly and admit that we've not always done so so great, and then start doing it. Right? Start doing it. Start gospel. being the church. Start loving God, loving our neighbors the way the gospel demands. You've been listening to part one of our interview with David Gretzky. Tune in next week when we listen to part two on the Church in the North podcast. Church in the North is a production of Briarcrest College. For more information about the podcast, visit churchinthenorth.ca. To learn more about Briarcrest, visit briarcrest.ca. 
Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard today, please leave us a review and share this episode with other ministry leaders.